Well, hello everyone. This is Data Driven Formula One with Patrick Hansen Gana Pogrebno. Hi, hello, Patrick. Gana. Nice to see you. Good to see you. So we had a little bit of a break, but we're back with 1967. And yeah, uh, as Patrick said, it will take us probably more than a year to get through all the seasons. So that prediction is coming true. So we are barely kind of at the end of the second decade of um, Formula One at the moment. But yeah, but it's not only a, a time uh, question, but also we at the moment we have a lot of additional topics uh, which we discuss besides only the seasons. We are discussing um, the drivers, uh, team principles and other uh, related uh, topics. So we are digging uh, a little bit deeper than maybe in the beginning of our series. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So no, I'm, I personally, I really enjoy the uh, the driver and the, the principal <laughs> bits. So, so hopefully you guys like them too. Let us know. Yep. Um, meanwhile, 1967 uh, was a very interesting season. So this is a season yep. in a nutshell. And as you can see, quite a lot of variety in the in both of the driver and constructor uh, gp wins um mm -hmm. and um yeah so um you might you might guess that lotus could have done quite well you could also guess that braham maybe <laughs> have done well <laughs> right so um yeah. yeah but we also had cooper maserati and um yeah, uh, I guess uh, the only. And, uh, Ford, uh, I mean, we have uh, the arrivals of um, the arrival, sorry, of the Ford Cosworth engine, an engine which should uh, be dominant for decades in Formula One. Yes, exactly. So uh, another thing is that you you probably noticed the name of Pedro Rodriguez. Uh, we have talked mm -hmm. about Rodriguez brothers in detail, but. This is um, his first win, I believe, right, in Formula One Correct. Uh, this season. And uh, also, this is the last season for Dan Gurney, <laughs> who is also in this winning driver column. So um, Yes, and uh, unfortunately, also the last of uh, Lorenzo Bandini, as we discussed uh, earlier, he has um, his fatal accident. That's right. And another un another unusual thing about the season is you do not see Ferrari in the constructor column. Yeah. Uh, although Ferrari was participating, obviously, but you know, we just uh, Ferrari didn't have a good year that year. So, so yeah, a lot of that's right. uh, like I said, a lot of um, unusual things happened this season. Yeah. yeah. But and, let's start uh, another from... premiere. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so let's start and uh, uh, premiere. We have uh, the first time uh, we are using the Kalami circuit in South Africa, uh, a circuit which uh, I think uh, had been in use until the 1980s, mm -hmm. if I remember it right. And uh, some changes, uh, John Sotis uh, joined uh, the Honda team while Mike Spence signed up for BMN. And uh, we have uh, Pedro Rodriguez. He was on some kind of a trial for the uh, Cooper team. So it was a quite uh, good test uh, because he won uh, the race. And with uh, this, it was um, not only, unfortunately, the last victory for Cooper in Formula One, 
but let's say it was the first time in history a Mexican driver led the Formula One championship. Mm -hmm. Yes, so um, again, uh, I would like to refer you to the episode about Rodriguez brothers and the cool thing about that episode is Patrick is also uh, um, able to answer all the questions in Spanish because I'm not speaking Spanish. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Patrick lived in Mexico, so <laughs> yeah, I will leave you in, in, in good hands uh, with regard to comments in Spanish. In any case, yeah. I can only like, yeah, if you if you do leave comments, uh, uh, yeah, just keep in mind that uh, only one of us uh, can speak Spanish. <laughs> but, yeah, but, the other um, one has but, to use Google Translate. Yeah, well, I will uh, try not to. I completely trust Patrick. Uh, I mean, if, if anything requires my attention and it's uh, written in Spanish, I will, I will just rely on Patrick to tell me. But in any case, um, just um, yeah, uh, we had I think a lot of fun recording that episode. So please have a look at, at it, and um, you know you will find out about both Rodriguez brothers, not just about Pedro Rodriguez. And um, we there go go into great detail about the development of uh, the talent of both mm -hmm. Rodriguez brothers, and uh, we talk about the career. And Patrick even showed us some cool Mexican art from uh, his uh, from back in, from back in the day when he was living in mexico so yeah yeah really cool all right so danny hume uh, that's the sort of uh, um uh, the unusual hero of that season i guess from 1967 yeah and um yeah the, the monaco monte carlo uh, race which was also yeah. quite eventful, right? Considering everything that was happening. Correct, uh, because this was uh, the last uh, race for Lorenzo Bandini, whom we also already discussed in detail in a complete separate uh, episode. Because uh, a very tragic uh, accident, which was overshadowing uh, Holmes' uh, victory, he uh, he accidentally. <coughs> It is accident at uh, the chicane uh, at the harbor, and uh, I mean, I mean, he um, survived the direct accident, but unfortunately uh, could not uh, escape uh, the car. So it, uh, you may be reminded uh, if you're listening to this video now at the end of 2020 to uh, the one from uh, John Croissant, um, where he luckily uh, thanks also to the all the day developments uh, could escape uh, the car, but in this case, Lorenzo Bandini couldn't. He had been uh, too long in the car. Uh, he still went to the hospital, but uh, three days later uh, died there, unfortunately. As we also uh, saw it um, in earlier seasons, uh, un uh, most of the times uh, the organizers um, learned from such accidents so the straw balls which still have been in use in the 67 season had been banned uh, after because as you mentioned they are quite uh, vulnerable uh, to fire so this was one change how uh, formula one uh, adapted to this learn from this tragic accident also, there have been uh, later technical uh, developments and uh, some of uh, them I will present you in 1969 
where there was one interesting concept car, the Pininfarina Sigma, which was also inspired uh, to prevent especially fire accidents like the one from uh, Bandini. Yeah, and so another another uh, thing to mention is that not only there was uh, this development with straw bales, but also there was a development with regard to the coverage of uh, the tragic incidents, right, where, yeah, effectively um, uh, there was uh, actually a helicopter shot after um, after this tragic accident and um, after this happened, uh, this was basically banned, so you can no longer actually fly low well, um, using a helicopter and uh, kind of get a wide shot of the, um, of the incident. Um, so that's, that's kind of another thing that uh, um, was um, introduced after that, so obviously you need to have some uh, some ethics and some um, uh, respect uh, uh, respect for the for the person involved, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, but let's say again. Uh, I mean, this was now also a big discussion with the croissant uh, um, uh, accident, as many Formula One driver uh, heavily criticized the TV station as they repeated and repeated uh, the fire accident, and uh, they uh, also requested that uh, TV station should uh, be a little bit more empathic that uh, we are s uh, seeing here uh, human beings which could uh, die um, in, in the fire. So also today, this is still a relevant discussion. Right, exactly. And uh, there is, uh, uh, yeah, there is definitely a lot of um, um, a kind of, uh, yeah, I guess uh, un un unethical, uh, coverage of human generally of, of, of death of human death on TV mm -hmm. in, in general and in Formula One in particular and yeah but I mean this is, is good to see that back in 1967 it was also an, an issue and it was discussed and it was some measures were taken at the end of uh, at the end of the day so yeah. Yeah. It's still we still have the problem, but um, yeah, exactly. at least some, I, something was done. Mm -hmm. I, I agree that it was something was done, and I think this is this ethical component. This is nothing uh, which uh, go away, which we cannot solve with a technical solution. But we really have uh, to raise awareness that. Uh, that even if the sports gets um, more safe, even if maybe the driver's uh, performance uh, similar to robots. They are no robots, they are human beings. And, uh, and uh, this is something which we also like to avoid, uh, I think, in this uh, YouTube series, not showing too much uh, the pictures, which of course exist on the internet, uh, including you can see, I'm sure, all the accidents on YouTube. But I think this is something what we want to avoid a little bit in this uh, YouTube series, which uh, we are having here. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we do not want to victimize these this people again because it was, uh, you know, uh, a result of uh, probably multiple mistakes, uh, this, mm. uh, this tragic accident. So just remember that Formula One is a team effort and uh, any small mistake from any team member could lead to these uh, fatal uh, consequences. So it's not necessarily just driver error. It could be the... 
mechanical fault it could be a collision with another driver so yeah. and it, it's really unfair to kind of start pointing, pointing fingers here because it's uh, often uh, not something that people can control at these speeds right so even if it's a collision um, you know it's it is it is not uh, not not right to 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 be sort of victimizing uh, and, and different parts of this incident, right? So that's that's yeah. what we're trying to do here. Yeah. And in fact, we actually saw throughout the series how these incidents have had uh, quite a drastic uh, impact on drivers, right? And who were blaming themselves for uh, for, for 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 different incidents uh, throughout the history of sport and how they had to basically leave the sport uh, sometimes. Yeah, and not on. Yeah. Yeah, Not sometimes only the driver, the peak of the career. Mm -hmm. of the team principles, uh, which uh, which left uh, the sports, and uh, we will see this um, also in uh, next year. Um, by the way, so we see that uh, even the team chef, it's not just uh, a business. They're not cold-hearted, just following their personal dream, but they are in many examples they had been um, heavily uh, affected by the deaths uh, of uh, the drivers. Also, as uh, sometimes they had been more than just colleagues. Sometimes we had uh, friendly relationships. We had like father-son uh, relations. So we had various examples for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Meanwhile, we have turned the page and uh, we yeah. are now in the Netherlands. And this is this historic event that uh, uh, Patrick mentioned, and it's the introduction of the Ford Cosworth uh, engine. Uh, right and uh, the lotus car that you can see if you're watching us on youtube um, uh, you will see in the bottom right corner you will see a picture uh, from um, uh, 1967 and that's um, uh, colin chapman i believe with uh, uh, with yep. Jim Clark uh, there, right, and um, Lotus 49, this kind of revolutionary car that Lotus came up with yet again. <laughs> so we saw several uh, designs from Lotus that were very innovative, but this one had this Ford engine that was quite remarkable, and like Patrick said, we will see this engine in um, kind of, yeah, in, in, in many reincarnations <laughs> of... Yep. Um, uh, of Formula One cars uh, for the years to come. Exactly, and uh, going back directly to the space, uh, the pool position was shifted um, by Graham Hill. No big surprise. I mean, on the one hand, of course, he was a very talented driver, but also he was heavily involved in the development um, of the Cosworth engine. So he was like the test driver in opposite uh, to uh, Jim Clark, uh, his mm -hmm. colleague at uh, Lotus. So he was, uh, so as a consequence, uh, he took a pole position, uh, led the race, but unfortunately had a technical problem. And this was the opportunity for the second uh, Lotus driver, Jim Clark, uh, um, to uh, win this race. Yeah, and also uh, we have to um, again refer you to our previous um, uh, episodes about uh, Graham Hill and uh, Colin Chapman. And uh, there was uh, this uh, great quote that we had uh, for, Graham, for Graham Hill at the end of the episode about Graham Hill. And uh, Patrick and I, we couldn't quite uh, 
uh, couldn't quite place it, you know. So, so it was about the fact that, you know, when when Graham Hill said that when I when I drive and I see a part of the car kind of rolling ahead of me, I know that I'm uh, sitting in a Lotus car. And um, to me, this kind of shifted towards the Ford engine, kind of making it more kind of, again, engine-based, making it more sort of um, excellence-based rather than just making it lighter, making the car lighter, which was Colin Chapman's uh, idea of uh, fast, um, is very much kind of rooted in Graham Hill's um, strive for better quality and better um, uh, security of uh, uh, Lotus cars. And uh, he managed to kind of, <laughs> he managed to stand his ground here. So they did get this new engine. Um, it didn't help him for too long because uh, as we know, Colin Chapman still uh, continued to make lighter cars, uh, but, at <laughs> least, uh, but at least in this case, you know, we have um, a little bit of reliability back um, kind of a priority for reliability back into play in the Lotus team. And uh, this was something that actually allowed them to to be quite successful through 1970s, right? So the, this this innovation was kind of not only looking at this eggshell uh, type of design, uh, which is very light, uh, but also to pay attention to the engine quality. That's right. So, yeah. Oh, so we're yeah, staying they... in the Benelux area, just uh, uh, crossing the border to Belgium, and we are at uh, Spa Francorchamps. And uh, as you see, another uh, very uh, sad accident uh, for the Ferrari team. Uh, Mike Parks, the second driver, had a horrendous uh, crash uh, right at the first lap of the exit of the Blanchiment. Lost uh, his control, most probably he slipped on oil spilled by uh, Jackie Stewart's uh, BRM, but uh, who knows at the end. was a very heavy accident, so in the beginning the doctors had been even uh, considering to um, amputate uh, both of his legs. Mm -hmm. Uh, as he was uh, some weeks in uh, coma, no, sorry, this one week in coma. Luckily, this could have been uh, prevented, but nevertheless, he heavily broke uh, his both legs and he never returned to Formula One. Uh, that's right. And uh, I mean, uh, here, let's also mention the win by Dan Gurney. Um, and uh, this was quite a, uh, quite a remarkable win because it was mm -hmm. uh, American car, right? Eagle, he, he was yes. driving the Eagle car. And uh, like I said before, um, this was the last season, I believe, for Dan Gurney. So it was good uh, for him to finish uh, with, uh, with a win in, 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 uh, in the championship. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we had this tragic accident with Mark Parks. Uh, I mean, and as you can see from the photo, he survived. Uh, and uh, he, this, the photo that we show you if you're watching YouTube, uh, is from 1969, so you can imagine that he, he was fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it took really some colossal uh, effort from the, medic, from the medics to put him back uh, on track. Yeah. And yeah, he couldn't really drive uh, competitively again. Um, so yeah, that was the, the consequence of, of this uh, particular Grand Prix. 
But yeah. to be fair, you know, um, Belgium is notorious. I mean, I think Nürburgring, um, Belgium is quite notorious for this in type of incidents, especially when we consider the earlier years. And that's uh, for the reason that we outlined with Patrick before. So just quite often, uh, quite often you have to complete a race in rainy, in rainy conditions uh, exactly. uh, there. And, um, you know, this contributes to a lot of a lot of confusion and used to contribute to quite a few accidents and sometimes fatal accidents because yeah. simply because it's such a tricky circuit and in wet weather it's quite quite difficult to keep track of things correct so we have here the combination of a complex racetrack with very changing weather conditions and often bad weather including rain so quite difficult combination and unfortunately often it has its tributes regarding accidents yeah, and uh, again, uh, if we consider uh, again the earlier years of Formula One, uh, this, um, if you remember, we, we kind of keep reiterating this point, but in the rain, everyone slows down. So actually, the opportunities to overtake are taken more often. And as a result, you actually have a more dangerous race. That's inevitable. Yeah. That's just uh, probabilistically speaking, this is what happens. So therefore, the probability of having accidents in um, in the rain, uh, despite the fact that even you know now when we have the safety cars and everything, there's still quite a, um, quite a high probability of a, of an accident when we have rainy conditions, simply because uh, you can you can be more competitive in an inferior car. Exactly. And of course, uh, rain is a temptation for some of the drivers to take on higher risk uh, levels. And, uh, and again, the, the consequences are unknown. Yeah, so um, Silverstone and the Nürburgring, um, again, in a sense, uh, this was a season of rivalry between, um, I guess, Lotus and Braham, right? And uh, mm -hmm. this is exactly what we see in the next two races, where in Silverstone we had Jim Clark dominate, and then uh, Danny Hume, who was driving for Braham, uh, uh, came first in Nürburgring. Yes, and we saw also we see also now uh, Chris Emin as a quite stable driver uh, for the Ferrari team. Both uh, races coming in uh, um, third, uh, the same also as in Spa before. And as we just uh, have spoken about uh, Spa Francorchamps being a, tri a tricky racetrack, I mean, a great photo here, which uh, kind of found uh, you see here really the uh, old Nurburgring uh, Nordschleife. Uh, with mm -hmm. a, a length of uh, 20.265 kilometers, which is not only a very tricky racetrack, but also due to its length, nearly impossible to complete uh, to remember, meaning sometimes uh, you, you, uh, you're a little bit too late at the point where you should to break and uh, a lot of uh, risks. Um, and due to this, um, uh, often also known as the Green Hell, based as it's inside uh, the forest in some parts. Really mm -hmm. a very, very difficult uh, racetrack. 
and uh, maybe even more tricky than uh, Spa Francochamps. Nevertheless, and, uh, and this time, uh, luckily to say, no special uh, accidents in both of the races, nor in Silverstone or in uh, on the Nürburgring. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, so 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 exactly. That's uh, that's right. And uh, I mean, this is the the map uh, that was uh, kind of. The, this is the the circuit, uh, the the shape of the circuit that was used uh, from 1964. And yeah, indeed, uh, like also just to remind yourselves that it's uh, mostly it's mostly happening in uh, in bad weather. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, if you are living uh, near, uh, you can go there and uh, I think most of the days uh, drive there with your own um, uh, car. Uh, I don't know what it costs now. They only request you and they give you a helmet uh, to be safe. But uh, you can uh, go uh, still today, I think, uh, with your own private car to have uh, a lap on the uh, Nordschleife. Yeah, and the uh, the bottom there it says basically yeah there, there is uh, there no is there there is no such thing as driving in the mountains without making a cir circle right on on Nürburgring yeah yeah but uh, take uh, attention you also see a lot of accidents by the complete uh, unexperienced drivers yes absolutely absolutely and that's um, and that's because of the complexity and you know if you if you recall kind of all the, the entire series that we are doing, we, we were talking about uh, um, uh, accidents, collisions, and, uh, you know, kind of spin-off uh, type of um, accidents um, in, in relation to the circuit very, very often, probably more often than no. any other circuit. And that actually brings me to another idea that probably we should do a... Uh, an analysis on this and see which uh, circuit actually had uh, uh, the most fatalities and accidents. We do have this data, so we can look it up for you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not probably going to be a very pleasant conversation, but uh, I guess it would be an interesting analysis to see which circuit uh, produced uh, the most kind of, of these dangerous, dangerous episodes. Yeah, we should uh, consider this for the 2021 One. Halloween episode. Yes, yes, probably. Okay. Oh, Canada, most part yeah. park. Yeah, and uh, this is um, again, um, uh, again, not an easy circuit, but um, you know, we have uh, also a win from Jane, uh, Jack Braham. And uh, here, I guess the, the cool part is that we have uh, uh, like one section that is straight and then we have several sections that are curvy and this is exactly where uh, Raham uh, cars normally do well, right? So they need kind of a little bit of a straight and uh, uh, this uh, because the car looks, I mean, we will go to designs shortly, but uh, if you remember kind of the the, the, the peculiarity of the Braham design, it's kind of designed more like an American uh, circuit uh, type of car, so to take on the more straight 
straight lines. So these these cars are especially uh, efficient in straight line, and uh, this is exactly what you see with this circuit. <laughs> so, yeah, there is a uh, quite a large section that is not very curvy, and then you have. Uh, um, uh, quite, quite, uh, quite a curvy bit as well. But you know, this straight line also allows you to gain some, uh, um, uh, yeah, to to to, to basically um, uh, distinguish yourself from 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 the rest of the competitors. And that's what I think Braham team was really capitalizing on in many races, and that's what we saw here as well. Yeah. And also, uh, not surprisingly, that it was uh, that uh, Dan Gurney, the U.S. driver in the U.S. Uh, Eagle, was also doing very well on this particular uh, track. It's, and it was the last uh, podium uh, for Dan Gurney and the Eagle card. Yeah, also, and uh, yeah. yeah, we had the Repco engine, and I was uh, hoping exactly. that Patrick probably would be able to to tell a little bit more about it. <laughs> Yeah, Repco, um, the engine which uh, Jack Brabham used uh, for various years, it was the uh, construction, uh, if I'm right, it, the uh, engine itself is somehow based on an Oldsmobile or on another General Motor uh, engine. And uh, so it was a construction from uh, New Zealand uh, as himself. Uh, so it was, Jack, it was not only Dan Gurney uh, who had this patriotic idea of the old American Eagle, but also Jack Brabham had somehow this uh, strategy. Even if the team was based in UK, the engine uh, came from uh, New Zealand and he had also uh, local uh, drivers. Yeah, I just I'm just looking it up and it says, yeah, they, they are actually from Australia. Uh, I mean, they do service Australia and New Zealand, but yeah, like Jack, Jack Braham, of course, is Australian. And yeah, this is his kind of home home country. Um, yeah, and uh, it is uh, indeed. Yeah, so it was uh, founded in 1922 in, in Melbourne, uh, in Victoria, Australia. And yeah, the first entry for this engine was 1966 and Monaco Grand Prix. And uh, it was used uh, all the way until uh, 1969 in South Africa Grand Prix. So quite quite a long life for a uh, Formula One engine, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, as we discussed, uh, the rise of the Cosworth Moore engine, uh, uh, Brabham uh, switched after the season also to the Ford engine. Mm-hmm. Monza. Yep. Yeah, which is a very t traditional for um, Ferrari to win, right? But not this year. Uh, no. You see here uh, the winner uh, and uh, maybe John Surtis. Also, yeah, John Surtis there. In, maybe also in Italy, but uh, this was 65 and still the Ferrari, uh, John Surtis, after having some, uh, let's say, uh, personal um, differences with uh, the Ferrari management. Uh, after one year, I think in uh, Cooper last year, he switched to Honda and uh, was um, mainly uh, responsible for developing uh, the Honda Formula One cars. And uh, he, he not had been directly uh, completely competitive, but they've been uh, quite strong. And uh, due to this, uh, they had uh, a victory on the famous uh, Monza racetrack with John Sotis driving the Honda RR300. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're curious why the car was called RR300, we will have later a special episode about Honda, but I can tell you it means uh, uh, race automobile 300 horsepower. That's right. So, yeah, and um, I mean, John Surtis, actually, this was uh, the only win for him uh, that season, right? So he he came third and... Uh, in the in the first race and then you know he this was his only win and he had to actually retire quite uh, quite quite a few times i mean he retired uh, basically three times uh, during the season and uh, in france and uh, canada he couldn't even start i believe <laughs> so it was uh, just a quite a not 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 really his season if you if you know, if we consider it, but it's good to see that he managed one win um, yes. uh, in 1967. So that was good. So in the end, he came fourth in the, yeah. in the championship. Yeah. As, we often, yeah. As we often discovered, of a lot of the, uh, let's say, the second line teams and drivers, they need uh, luck. Also here, Jim Clark was... Uh, leading the race until uh, lap uh, 12 until he got uh, technical uh, problems so he had to slow down due to a problem of the fuel uh, pump uh, he still uh, managed to stay inside the race but had to pass by get passed by by Jack Brabham and uh, uh, Sortis uh, nevertheless a lot of the spectators and journalists think that this was one of um, Jim Clark's uh, best uh, performances ever, even if he not uh, won this particular uh, Grand Prix, but uh, coming in third place with a technical problem was still a great, great performance uh, by him. Uh, shortly returning to Honda, uh, this was the second uh, victory for the Honda team, and it should stay the last victory until uh, 2006, as we still had 100% uh, uh, Honda team. And this was at the Budapest um, Grand Prix. Yeah, Johnson, Johnson Button. Um, Johnson Button's Button. win. Also, a very difficult circuit because you go un, uh, counterclockwise uh, in Hungary. So that's uh, kind of double, double applause to, to Johnson Button for, for making that happen. Yeah. Yeah, but as an Australian, he's used to drive on the other side. Yeah, but I mean, that's, it's, it's like most of the yeah. um, circuits are clockwise circuits, so only a few are counterclockwise, so Hungary is one of those, uh, yeah. of those circuits, so it's not, a, not an easy drive at all. Uh, Watkins Glen, so and this is what you see, uh, I believe Jim Clark, uh, this is the, the picture at the bottom of, uh, so, uh, bottom right corner of the screen if you're watching us on YouTube. And um, yeah, this was, uh, again, victory for, for Jim Clark and Lotus. And um, uh, Lotus did quite well because they had both of the drivers uh, on the podium with first and second place. Uh, and uh, Danny Hume was third in, in this race. So, but quite a, a, quite a big win for Lotus in the US. Yeah. And with this, we are going again to the final to the Mexico City, the Magdalena Muswaka racetrack. Uh, here it was uh, won again by uh, Jim Clark and again uh, with technical uh, 
problem as his clutch was not uh, working for most of the uh, race track. And this reminds me to another quote by Colin Chapman, uh, who once said that uh, a, gay, a race car shouldn't uh, have to last 100% of the race. And again, this is what happened. Uh, the car was not fully functional until the end. Uh, yeah. uh, until seeing the checkered flag. This time, J Jim Clark uh, could master it and nevertheless uh, win. But again, uh, same happened with the Lotus car. Yeah, so at this point, uh, you might be wondering like who won the season because uh, the, we didn't say that at the beginning. Uh, I kind of did it on purpose. Uh, so um, if, you, if you are following what we are talking about with Patrick, you would know that... Uh, um, Jim Clark uh, won four races, um, so he had the highest number of wins, right, in the first places. Then we had, and then we had two drivers uh, uh, from Braham team, uh, Danny Hume and Jack Braham, who both had two wins each. Um, and uh, guess who won? Uh, Danny Hume. <laughs> why is <Yeah>. that? <laughs> why is that? You might wonder why that happened. Well, that happened because um, even though Jim Clark was performing well uh, in four, like really well in, in four um, Grand Prix, uh, he also had a very, um, he, he had five retirements that season. Um, mm -hmm. And also, he he actually came six in uh, Belgium, so in the sense that you know you um, you basically had a problem that even though the Lotus car could perform really well, it also had uh, problems with reliability, right? So you wouldn't be able to finish because you would retire or you would finish really way below the first three, which means that you barely had any points at all. Whereas uh, Raham team actually was a lot more consistent and Danny uh, uh, Hume only retired in Belgium and in Italy and uh, for the rest of the season he was basically in top three apart from um, the first South African um, Grand Prix where he was fourth. So he wasn't really like that much far away from the top uh, in the majority mm -hmm. of races. So. That meant that actually uh, Danny Hume by the end of the season had 51 points compared to uh, Jim Clark who had 41 points. And so, so, so Jim Clark didn't even uh, come second. So as a result, Braham had two drivers uh, in the yeah. first and the second place so with Danny Hume being first and uh, Jack Braham being second. And then we only then we had Jim Clark. So. Um, and that's that's because you know if you have more reliable car, you kind of are finishing within the first three or even four drivers. You are a lot better off than you know hitting maybe the first place every once in a while, but being an unreliable car and not being able to finish at all in many of the races. Five races, you know. That, that Jim Clark basically had to retire, um, actually backfired. And um, uh, yeah, uh, he didn't uh, win the season, even though he had the highest number of wins. Yeah, that's correct. And we will come to the drivers, but first let's have a look on the cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Graham, quite a, quite a traditional uh, make for Graham. Yes. 
very straight. <laughs> um, yeah, looks very much like uh, the, the Indianapolis car. Yep, and uh, but also not that much different than the other Formula One cars, which we will see uh, on yeah. the other slides. So they kind of brought it, brought it uh, closer to sort of Lotus and Cooper make, but at the same time, it's still quite straight, quite, uh, right. quite, quite straight compared to the rest. Right. Yeah. And, uh, here you see the Cooper T86, mm -hmm. um, quite uh, similar to the Breton. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like we said, uh, Cooper cars, uh, this was really a decline of Cooper cars, and yeah. uh, this is one of the last things that we will see of them. Yeah, unfortunately, one a very traditional name, but un but for, for whatever reason, they not uh, had been able to compete uh, with the rise of the other British teams. Well, we know, we know the reasons, right? Jack Braham left, uh, then Bruce McLaren yeah. left. Uh, so they had all these talented young people and they couldn't really keep them because they had uh, either had them, their own ambitions, so I think they were just uh, disagreeing with uh, the, the way Cooper worked. So they organized their own teams and they just went and they were quite successful on their own. Exactly. BRM. BRM. Yeah, P115. I mean, it, I, I think that if you married uh, again Lotus and uh, Braham, <laughs> you would probably get something like this. Um, but again, very much uh, in the kind of British, uh, in the British tradition, I think this car is uh, still reminiscent of Cooper a little bit and um, reminiscent of Lotus. Yeah. So very, but nevertheless, you know, very interesting design, and uh, yeah. It, yeah, it, and you see old school racing three uh, wheels in the air. Yeah, yeah, but uh, this is exactly the point of having a light car, right? So this yes. this was still uh, this idea of um, kind of karting car like car. That and and this is the the consequence of having it like that. Um, yeah, you just have to basically risk a lot on the corners. Mm -hmm. And with this, we are coming to the Lotus, Lotus. Forty Nine, fast but unfortunately not reliable enough. Yeah. Faster, but not furious enough. <laughs> yeah. so, so, in the sense that, yeah, it is, uh, you know, the, the, even though they had, well, we need to give it to them, they had a new engine, so which is probably, probably takes time to make it work. Yes. But uh, in this particular case, yeah, I think um, they probably could have done better with reliability. And in fact, uh, considering that uh, Jim, um, uh, uh, Jim Clark is going to lose his life uh, very soon, you know, after 1967 season. Uh, uh, this should have kind of, uh, uh, should have rang a bell uh, for Colin Chapman, but it didn't really. So he just continued to make lighter and lighter cars. And um, that actually backfired big time for, for yeah. Lotus. Yes, looking at the photo, I think uh, it should be from this photo has been taken in 1968. 
because if I'm correct, uh, in 67, we still not had a sponsoring on the car. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, I'm not sure which year exactly this is, but I mean, this is definitely Lotus 49. <laughs> so, yeah, as we, we've been kind of, the, the, there was a comment last time that, you know, that we've got kind of not the right driver, not the driver that you're discussing at the wheel. So sometimes we show you cars and uh, this is the picture that we found and, uh, you know, we know it's the right car, it's the right make of the car, but uh, we cannot always guarantee that that's uh, the, the correct driver that we're discussing. At, at Cor the correct. The, the, problem is not, the problem is not directly finding the photos, but uh, having photos where we have the rights to show them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so, uh, but I mean, uh, the load, normally at that uh, time, it was uh, still quite common that uh, you used uh, the, uh, the cars for more than uh, one year or that you present a car like uh, in the middle of the season and use it until the middle of the next season. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So the teams were smaller and the budgets were a lot smaller. And, uh, you know, we didn't have huge adverti advertisement budgets either. So this was basically, uh, yeah, back in the day when it was mostly sport, uh, sport-like and you had, uh, you, had, you had to have some angel investor or some sort of sponsorship from a big company. And, uh, yeah, so this often had consequences. Exactly. Honda. Exactly. Yeah, we have the LR300, uh, which uh, gave uh, John Sotis the victory in Monza. Uh, I mean, looks like a, I mean, very clear, a pretty design. We see Japanese uh, colors. Uh, as we discussed uh, in earlier episodes, also, of course, inspired uh, a little bit more by the Indy cars which is not surprisingly because uh, at that uh, time and I think still to, up to today, Honda is stronger and on the US market than, for example, on the European market. Yes, exactly. Um, so to me, it's uh, it also quite interesting how it's not very kind of straight uh, arrow shape uh, like the rest, but it's kind of a little bit like ladder-like, right? It's kind of like you have levels, different levels to this car. So it's very, very interesting design. And uh, like we said, it's done quite well for itself, considering that it was a newcomer. Uh, yep. I mean, this particular make was a newcomer in the season and um, it did generate a win. So uh, obviously uh, it was driven by by a former champion, so um, which, which contributed, I guess, to the fact that it uh, was able to achieve this result. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, very interesting looking car. And uh, definitely it's good to see Honda in Formula One. We, we didn't have many seasons when Honda was present, so this was one of them. And it's uh, a joy to see Honda here. Yes, this uh, we are coming uh, to France, the Matra MS7, uh, in a typical French uh, colors. And uh, also here, I assume this was the 68 uh, car, as it already have uh, uh, the sponsoring on the wings. Uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, this is not a Formula One car, but a Formula Two car. Uh, but uh, due to the uh, regulations, the German um, Nürburgring race 
as it's a, a track with 20 kilometers to let the spectators uh, see more cars, more action. Uh, they also uh, allowed Formula 2 cars to participate because if not, it's a little bit boring sitting at the track because uh, you see the car, but then you wait for nine to 10 minutes until they come back. And uh, due to this, the German Grand Prix, the Nürburgring, Nordschleife also allowed the participation of uh, Formula 2 cars. Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to see the French cars and uh, in the competition uh, because, uh, you know, we kind of had uh, different seasons when it's, it's only representatives of certain countries there. So it's good to, it's good to see that, uh, you know, so we will eventually have Renault uh, emerge as a, as a big winner in Formula One in, in, in kind of uh, in later years. But, uh, um, you know, the, this actually shows that uh, the French um, car industry can produce competitive cars, and uh, it was good to see this car in, in 1967 season. Exactly, much uh, similar like others, they not only focused on Formula One, but also uh, on endurance races, Le Mans, where they had been highly successful uh, too. Maybe mm -hmm. as, as name more successful than directly in Formula One. That's right. And then we are coming uh, uh, to McLaren, which uh, had uh, their car, the M2B. And uh, I think a good first season for them. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, again, uh, if you look at the, uh, if you look at it very much, uh, kind of um, a Lotus-shaped uh, car, uh, like arrow-shaped car and at all, um, it's all because it, it uh, kind of uh, coming out of this British tradition, really, and uh, yeah. So, the, so this was uh, one of the one of the main ideas for uh, for McLaren cars, and it, it's good to see that you know this uh, um, this team survived all the way up to, until yeah. now. And they're still in competition, and uh, that's uh, that's awesome. So, so in a sense, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, um, Bruce McLaren eventually broke away from Cooper. Not very good for Cooper, but good that we have this uh, um, great manufacturer and constructor of cars that survives uh, today, and uh, they're making high-performance cars and Formula One cars that we can actually enjoy. Uh, exactly. If you have uh, enough money, you can even buy a McLaren to drive on uh, your, mm -hmm. the streets of your city. Yes, very expensive, but uh, probably worthwhile if you can afford it. Yeah. Right, this we can discuss another time. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm ha I would be happy to talk to, to uh, about yeah. McLaren. Maybe we can even invite some someone from McLaren to talk to us. We'll see. Exactly. That'd be, that'd be nice. Ferrari, this is very much exactly. uh, Patrick's uh, Patrick's favorite <laughs> team. Yeah, so, uh, we have, so we have here uh, the FX767 as it was driven by uh, Chris Emmon and something which I only saw on uh, the um, Honda before. Also now Ferrari put, can I, let me see the camera, mm -hmm. quite big, commonly the name of the driver on the side of the car. 
uh, as in opposite uh, to the photo uh, on the right uh, in the 67 season there was no um, sponsoring allowed on the car so this the sponsoring uh, must have been done uh, later or for example just yeah. for some classic retro uh, tournaments today yeah, but well, well, we have to make a footnote that the, the pictures that we show uh, are kind of from events or muse from museums and yes. you know things uh, uh, things are added to 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 cars and they are just when they are on display at events or at museums and uh, definitely you know you have to just keep in mind that uh, that might not be the kind of uh, authentic look but it's definitely the right make so that we can we can yes. we can say that um, so what do you think patrick was the reason why they didn't uh, have a good year the ferrari didn't have a good year 19, as in years before they lost uh, two uh, drivers and uh, with this uh, you have of course uh, a lot of um, Discussions inside the team, you cannot focus really on the development um, on the car. And, uh, and on the other hand, uh, we had very good, um, strong uh, competitors like uh, Brabham, like uh, Lotus. And I mean, it's a little bit a part of competition. It uh, motivates you to give uh, the best from the drivers, from, uh, from the engineers. But of course, uh, sometimes you're winning and sometimes uh, you are losing. It's a little bit, um, sometimes like a natural circle. Um, the, the 312 um, wasn't uh, Ferrari's most successful uh, time, um, the years they drove it. So uh, I think it would have been the mixture of the two uh, points, uh, like missing continuity inside the team and also uh, very strong um, opponents, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in general, uh, a problem uh, that Ferrari faces um, even more today than, uh, than in the 60s or 50s is that uh, most of uh, our um, development in Formula One is in the UK. So here you have these circles of talented people, which are, of course, in interaction. But uh, Italy, especially in, in times when uh, Ferrari was the only Italian team, there is, isn't this local uh, infrastructure and local Formula One environment as we still had in the 1950s. So it's a little bit a disadvantage. Uh, similar also as uh, with the Honda team. So we will see what um, what effect Brexit will have on uh, on on this uh, yep. distribution of talent because obviously um, UK was an attractive place when it was well connected to other places in Europe. Uh, um, as we explained before, like for example, there was I remember back in the day when there was a McLaren Mercedes team. Uh, where you, you need a strong connections and uh, currently I think a lot depends on these um, collaborative opportunities and um, it's it's very interesting to, to me uh, how uh, British teams are going to handle this um, uh, the Brexit problem and how this will affect the business that they do because it really needs you know, it really needs thinking through how you're going to. So, so effectively, you would be entering uh, uh, the same type type of deals now as with, say, Japan. Uh, 
um, if you even if you need to just uh, kind of collaborate with someone in Europe uh, so that's you know will be will be an interesting test on whether the UK automotive industry will hold up in these conditions so maybe we will see the emergence of of uh, other teams uh, from Europe Correct. Yeah. And uh, last month, I had the pleasure to speak uh, at the um, Triple Helix Summit uh, Bologna, unfortunately, mm -hmm. only virtually. And uh, one of it in, in, uh, in, ba in base, it's um, growth, uh, it's a theory of innovation, which says that the connection of uh, university, government and industry supports uh, innovation and uh, for example, uh, there was speaking the CEO of uh, Dalara, also a very famous company. Uh, and so it's not only that you have the uh, motorsport, the Formula One teams more or less together, but also these teams directly uh, connect uh, to the uh, universities. They have already uh, interactions uh, before they are leaving the, uni the university, for example, to work at this team. So it's not only that now in the UK you have the different teams together, but also they are in contact with the young uh, future engineers, uh, also for example with the younger drivers. So it's really all the uh, infrastructure and as you said, the Brexit, uh, the Brexit uh, may destroy this environment a little bit mm -hmm. or even more than a little bit, we have to see that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So yeah, it will be interesting what, what happens. It's a um, uh, challenging time, so, yeah. Yep, we will observe it. The drivers, yeah. Yep. <laughs> the two drivers from uh, Braham in the front, Danny Hume and um, Jack Braham. So, the, yeah, they are representatives yeah. of the Braham team. And uh, then we have also Jim Clark and Lotus, who came third. Exactly. Season. Um, I mean, Brabham uh, also like the All-American Eagle, a very, let's say, uh, patriotic team. We have uh, Danny Holm, uh, Holm uh, from New Zealand with uh, Jack Brabham uh, from directly from Australia. He had the motor from Australia. So uh, uh, he had a quite local approach, even if the team itself was uh, based in the UK. And let's say he was quite successful with that. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Clark, uh, um, not to give you too much spoiler, but I think one of our very next episodes will be directly about uh, him. Yep. So we will discuss his life, career and uh, legacy, of course. John Surtees on the fourth uh, position. So uh, even if the Honda lacked a little bit uh, of uh, speed, he was nevertheless uh, reliable enough to uh, have uh, come in on the fourth uh, position. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Allen, um, or Amon, I think he was also from Australia and New Zealand. So uh, at least he was also very successful on the uh, Tasman series which he could uh, win for Ferrari. So he had been quite successful despite the problems at the uh, Scuderia, which we just uh, discussed. Yeah, so so he was a uh, New Zealand, um, uh, he, he's originally from New Zealand, yeah, and uh, 
It is an interesting choice for Ferrari, right? Because they kind of had uh, previously Italians, Brits, and Americans driving for them, but this was kind of a new new wave of drivers from uh, Australia and New Zealand uh, with Abraham and uh, Bruce McLaren. So, um, you know, so it's interesting to see that Ferrari also considered uh, drivers from that, that part of the world. Quite, a, quite an interesting strategy, considering that they didn't have drivers from that part of the world before. Yeah, and uh, I mean, as we discussed, uh, I think New Zealand, Australia, they had their own uh, race series, so they had uh, this environment where uh, young drivers could uh, develop. So maybe this was something which, why we had this wave of talented drivers. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And, um, you know, Chris Eamon also lived a very long life. He only passed away in 2016. So he's, he was around for, 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 a, for, a, for a very long time. And in New Zealand, quite a prominent figure in Formula One. Um, so very, also very, had a very successful, well, uh, successful career kind of post Formula One, I have to say. Like within Formula One, probably not so much because he only, I think, had what, like 11 um, career podiums, uh, but uh, he didn't win the championship, but uh, he was, yeah, uh, after, after uh, he had a, he had a very good kind of after, after life in Formula yes. One, uh, commenting and it's also uh, important. yeah, doing some analytics, so which is great. Pedro Rodriguez, uh, well, we, we talked about uh, Pedro in detail in a separate episode, how do look it up. Um, uh, yeah. Exactly, and we, are, I mean, we also uh, discussed uh, the decline of the Cooper team, so this uh, shows uh, also uh, Pedro's uh, talent to come in on, on sixth position uh, with a car which wasn't that competitive in the 67 season. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And this, uh, let's say, even before somebody like uh, Formula One champion Graham Hill on the very fast uh, Lotus. Yeah, so on this, I think we've got a mistake. If you are, if you are watching us on, uh, on YouTube, um, uh, I missed this one. So instead of Mike Parks, we actually have uh, Gurney. <laughs> Right. Uh, a photo, but we have uh, Graham Hill, basically Dan Gurney and uh, Jackie Stewart uh, there. And for Gurney, it was the last season. And uh, um, you have to give me thumbs up because I finally found a younger yes. picture for Jackie Stewart. <laughs> Jackie Stewart, who, you know, used to be, uh, yeah, we used to show his uh, kind of older photos. Uh, uh, before, but yeah, now I found a, a, a photo of him at the start of his career, more or less. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks like end of sixties, beginning. Yeah, yeah, 70s. I think it's nineteen seventy. Yeah, I think I believe this. This is nineteen seventy-three, but uh, I might be I might be wrong. So, but it it's yeah, like end of sixties, beginning of seventies photo, and Graham Hill, about whom we we already talked in great detail. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Sorry about the wrong photo from Mike Parks. 
Uh, but you've seen Mark Parks in this. If you're watching us on YouTube, you've seen it uh, earlier in in, yeah. in this episode. So we had a photo for him. But uh, was the one name it uh, had uh, Dan Gurney because mm -hmm. Mike Parks uh, uh, had the accident. In this. So I think uh, Dan Gurney was right. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have been probably the. But I mean, whatever. Yeah, you know, <laughs> either the wrong name or the, the wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I can check now whether what was the, the standing, but I believe you're right, okay, Stan so Gurney, because he did win, he did win one of the one of the yeah he, he it must have been him yeah he came eighth yeah that's right that's that's exactly right so Dan Gurney um, I mean unsurprisingly Abraham won the the constructor championships considering considering that two drivers. Uh, have done really well, both first and second place for the drivers, and then Lotus came third, and Cooper Maserati, uh, Lotus Ford came second, sorry, and Cooper Maserati came third. Yep. Yeah. So uh, besides uh, that not have been the fastest, Cooper had been uh, very reliable, and they could collect uh, the points where the others left him. Yeah, but I mean, considering that there were many retirements here yeah, for for Ferrari, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's not it not necessarily shows uh, showcases the strengths of Cooper, but uh, showcases the kind of the issues in other teams. I think yeah, it <laughs> because, depends from which point of view you are seeing it. Yeah, because uh, I'm saying that I, I think we can quite yeah. confidently say that because of the difference in points between Braham and everyone else, it's like twenty twenty. Oh, sorry. Exactly. 19 points difference between Braham and Lotus, and then between Lotus and Cooper Maserati, you also have a significant, uh, um, right, 16 point difference there. So it's it's quite a big, um, exactly. quite 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 a big gap, and uh, so that basically tells you that you know there are uh, kind of Lotus is just fast, uh, but not very reliable, and Braham is fast and reliable. So, you know, and, and uh, Cooper was, uh, and Cooper, yeah. let's say, was been slower but reliable, and uh, Honda Ferrari, they had been slower and missing reliability. Yeah, yeah, but not, uh, but not by far, right? Uh, eight point difference not is not far. that big. I mean, it's just uh, because uh, they had one win. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, if you remember, we, we've told you that you know wins gave you more points. So, like, obviously, like it. Uh, it was possible to get that type of uh, difference just based on one uh, yeah. one race, yeah. Exactly, then, as a winner you got nine points, second was six points, then four, three, two, one. Yes, exactly. But um, anyway, so I think uh, Braham did really well that season and uh, mm -hmm. it was also good to see that um, it was not uh, Jack Braham, but Danny uh, uh, Hume. Uh, in this case, so so it's uh, it's actually the second driver also won the championships, which meant that um, it's not just kind of concentration on one car, which is I think uh, you know for Lotus uh, this is very much true because it kind of they had one car that was performing a lot better than the other. Um, in case of Braham, I, I think they did have this problem in earlier seasons when they started. But um, now they actually managed to snap out of that pattern and they concentrated on both cars, which is which is important, right? Mm, so that consistency is actually good to see. 
exactly. So, yeah. so very, very deserving win for for Braham in 1967. Yeah. So we, I think, we very much discussed. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly summarize uh, summarize uh, what we said before. And uh, in terms of behavior, like to me, I think yeah, definitely. Danny Hume would be the notable character of the season. <laughs> Uh, finally kind of uh, stepping out of the shadow and becoming a champion. Um, uh, I guess uh, notable wins. um, I'm going to go for Dan Gurney's win (laughs) that season because it was last in his career and quite remarkable considering uh, the circumstances in which uh, he... uh, yeah, he managed to win the Belgian Grand Prix in uh, this uh, quite a, you know, quite a sort of um, difficult conditions. Um, notable accidents, of course, uh, Mike, uh, sorry, Mark uh, Parks uh, accident uh, that we mentioned yeah, before. And of course, uh, Lorenzo Bandini. And Lorenzo Bandini, yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, in terms of strategy, I guess uh, the big winner was, of course, Braham team uh, as a whole team. Uh, and uh, perhaps also in terms of strategy, we can also distinguish Lotus uh, and uh, um, uh, the introduction of the new engine. Which... Exactly, exactly, because we, uh, I mean, uh, Lotus took on uh, a risk uh, uh, using not only using the Ford engine, but it was uh, like a partnership. I mean, Graham Hill was like a development driver to get this Ford engine uh, running. So uh, practically, uh, uh, it would have been clear that uh, Lotus wouldn't be able to win the championship due to this uh, big uh, change using um, the engine from a newcomer. Absolutely. But of course, on a good decision on, on the long run, because uh, you can uh, think that uh, if Ford, a company like Ford is entering Formula One, they have the budget and of course they have the planning that they want to win the championship. So you know you have a strong partner, but you have to consider that the first year will be a, a year for learning. Yeah, absolutely. But also we have to make a footnote here that Lotus won most uh, races uh, compared to other teams. I mean, they were not very reliable, but they did win four Grand Prix that season, which which is a lot considering that we only have 11 Grand Prix. it's a, it's a big uh, it's a big achievement. I mean, the bad thing is that uh, they retired in five, <laughs> uh, in, in in five. So it's kind of almost uh, one step forward, two steps back, right? But um, but in a sense, yeah. I mean that that allowed them to experiment and uh, of course uh, to 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 pre- kind of proceed further with this uh, partnership with Ford. Um, it's just uh, really unfortunate that again this uh, thought of making the car lighter prevailed and uh, that put lives in danger as we, as we will see in the next seasons. Yeah. Yeah. But we will get to that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stay with us. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, legacy, I guess. Um, yeah, we would, well, I would just uh, say that this was uh, very much uh, Braham season and it was uh, also the re reliability forced, right, season when you would actually, this season really rewarded reliability compared to other seasons when it was more either dominance or very kind of strong competition between several drivers simultaneously. So in this case, it was just a, um, you, it would, it was advantageous to be in a more reliable car. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, just to add, I mean, as we discussed, it was the first season for the Ford engine and which really should be one of, uh, acknowledged later as one of the most dominant engines in Formula One until uh, the 1980s, if I'm correct. All right, so on that happy note about yeah. Ford engines, <laughs> we came to the end of this episode. So thanks a lot for being with us. We are on all possible platforms. Thanks to Patrick, not just on YouTube. Um, and uh, we'll, yeah, uh, we will be very glad to see you next time. And uh, please leave your comments. It's always interesting to read uh, what you think. Um, and we are certainly reading all the comments and uh, on on all platforms. Uh, so yeah. uh, so please do engage with us, and tell us if we we are on somewhere, if we are right somewhere. So or, you know, or just express your opinion. We are always interested to hear that. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. See you next time. <laughs>